Amen. Church family, you can have a seat again. Thank you so much, worship team. Got to grab my stuff here. This is a, uh, an action-packed Sunday morning for family service and kids. I have one other thing here for you this morning. You have to get up again, okay, if you want one of these. I have classic dum-dum suckers, okay? But here's the thing. This morning, we're going to be talking about authority and honoring and respecting authority. So you've got to check with your mom and dad or your grandparents or whoever you're here with today, your aunt, your uncle, and find out if you can have one. If they say yes, I'm going to leave this up here and we're going to take how many? 17? No, let's do one, right? One sucker each, okay? So ask your mom and dad and you guys can come on up and grab one if they say you can. Come on up. And sorry, adults, you don't get a sucker this morning. Unless your child shares it with you, then that's, that's your own choice. It's kind of gross. But you can do that. All right, there you go, guys. Dum-dums. Okay, so guys, we are continuing in our series this morning in the book of Daniel, Transforming Kings and Kingdoms. Oh man, there we go. There's a lot more kids that came up for this than the blessing bags. You notice that? Like, I got the order wrong. I got to get the dum-dums out sooner next time. Uh, But we're going to be talking today in Daniel chapter 6, which is a a very famous story, Daniel in the lion's den. And uh, as I've been studying this text, it got me thinking about how much as a culture we do struggle with authority whether it's dumb, dumb suckers or whatever it might be, but also we kind of have this thing that we love rebels. We love rebels. We love people that kind of push against authority, especially evil authority, right? Wrong authority. We love those stories, especially in movies and in pop culture. And so I wanted to share a couple examples. Uh, I looked at the, the highest grossing movies in two of the last three years, okay? And uh, so this year, so far, it's a movie called Top Gun Maverick, right? So it's, it's a story about this cocky pilot that's always pushing against authority, always pushing the limits, right? And he always looks really good doing it, right? His hair never gets messed up, right? This is Tom Cruise, Maverick. Two years ago was a weird year for movies because the theater shut down just a couple months into the year, but actually the highest grossing movie was Bad Boys for Life, now, I have not seen this movie. I can, I think, assume that it is not family-friendly, okay? So not endorsing this movie. But I don't think I even need to know what it's about to know this is a movie about pushing against authority, right? About rebels, bad boys for life. Now, kids, who likes Star Wars? Who likes Star Wars? Come on now. Come on now. Star Wars, best movies, right? I love Star Wars, but Star Wars is built on the idea of rebellion, right? They're the rebels against the evil galactic empire. We love that story of rebellion. And I couldn't leave this out. Kids, who is this? Elsa. I know I'm treading in dangerous ground here with kids. Uh, My girls will not be happy about this either because they love Elsa and they love Frozen, right? But what, what's Elsa's most famous song? What's her, what is it? Let It Go. Thanks, William. It's Let It Go, right? And, and my girls, like, like, came out of the womb knowing the words to that song somehow. Like, they, it's amazing, right? But 
if you listen to the words of the song, it's pretty interesting. Uh, here's a few lines. Let it go, let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me. Anyways, right? <laughs> Thanks, Christina. Some of you are like, thank you, Jeff, for putting that song in my head this morning. That's fantastic. But it's a song all about closing off everyone else, right, and going on your own. We love the idea of a rebel. And in many ways, we're a nation that was built on rebellion, right? We're a nation that was built on declaring our independence from the British Empire. It's a part of our culture, And maybe this is at least part of why we love a story like Daniel 6, Daniel in the lion's den. There is bold faith in this story, and there is civil disobedience in this story. And we're going to unpack that a little bit today. But I believe that Daniel 6 is actually a story about humility and honoring authority. And ultimately, it's a story about Christ-like faith. And this is our main idea today. God's people engage openly and obediently when they remember whom they serve. God's people engage openly and obediently when they remember whom they serve. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open up to Daniel chapter 6. We'll have it up on the screen as well. We're going to read through this story today. There we go. Not too late for a dum-dum. I love it. Not too late for a sucker. So Daniel chapter 6. Starting in verse 1, let's read together. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. All right, let's pause here for a moment. So uh, we know from uh, being able to study the the kingdoms and, and the history in the book of Daniel that Daniel is probably about 80 years old at this point in the story. The author of this book, the main character of this book, I think we have a picture up here. Um, He's an older man now. He's probably around 80 years old. And he has become distinguished, it says, above all the other officials because he has an excellent spirit in him. 
Love what Pastor Nate said the past couple of weeks. Daniel has risen to this position, not because he's awesome, not because he's the smartest, but because he has an excellent spirit in him. God is working in him and through him. That's the story we've seen. And after all he's experienced throughout his life, throughout the book of Daniel, his greatest test comes now. These other high officials are likely jealous of Daniel's position He's clearly the the most distinguished among all of the high officials and counselors to the king. And so they try to find a fault in him. They try to trap him in some way to knock him down. But there's a problem. They can't find anything. It says Daniel has been faithful to the king. So these scheming officials realize there's only one way to take Daniel down. It's to find some way to use his faith in God against him. I wonder if that would be true of us. Someone came looking for us that they couldn't find any way to take us down except in some way challenging us in the way we are devoted to our God. Here in Daniel, we have an example of what it looks like to both honor the king, but to obey God. And that's the first thing we see this morning is that we can be people who honor the king or any earthly authority, but obey God's commands. We can honor the king, but we can also obey God's commands. That's the example we see in Daniel. This is the idea of 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes to the early church uh, during a time of great persecution under the Roman emperor Nero, who was actively coming against Christians. This was not an easy time to be a Christian, and yet Peter writes this to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Be subject. For the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. When you think about what the emperor is doing at this time in church history, it's amazing that Peter would challenge the church to show honor to this emperor. But this is exactly what we see in the example of Daniel. He fears God, he obeys God's word, but he also honors the king. And so these other high officials convince King Darius, who has taken over after the failure of King Belshazzar that we saw last week, or Shazzy, as, uh, as Nate called him. Uh, he doesn't have a long reign, and now Darius has taken over, and the officials come to him and, and kind of stroke his ego and convince him to sign this decree that essentially makes him God for 30 days. No one can pray or make petitions to anyone other than the king for 30 days. Notice the lie here in in verse 7. It says, all the high officials of the kingdom have agreed to this. We know that's not true. They have not consulted with the most distinguished, the highest of those officials, which is Daniel himself. But the king is fooled, and he signs the decree. Let's read on in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. 
He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Here in verse 10, we see that that Daniel knows that this decree has been signed. He's not in the dark. He's aware of it. And so here is the dilemma of our passage today. This is our dilemma today for Daniel. Will he obey the king's decree or God's commands? He knows God's law, that he is only to worship God, the one true God. Praying to the king would be breaking God's law. So what will Daniel do here? Immediately we get Daniel's decision as well. It's not fear. It's not panic. It's not even anger against the king. It seems that he simply continues to do what he's been doing. He goes to his upper chamber. He opens the window to Jerusalem and he prays and gives thanks to God as he had done previously, three times a day. He just continues to do what he's been doing. He doesn't change his path. He doesn't make some big show of it. He just continues to do what he's been doing. Praying faithfully, giving thanks to his God. And it says that the the window, he would open his window towards Jerusalem. Of course, Jerusalem was his home. It's where he was born. It's where he grew up as a young boy before being taken in exile to Babylon. So no doubt he, he longed as he prayed. He looked towards Jerusalem and longed and asked God, will there ever be a time that I go back? Will our people go back to our home in Jerusalem? But here's the thing, in praying with his windows open, it meant that people could see him, right? They could see him. Surely Daniel knows this. And yet he doesn't change his mode of prayer, despite the decree. And surely Daniel knows the penalty for breaking the decree is to be thrown into the lion's den. Here's what this means. We can be people who honor the king, but openly display our faith. There's an openness about Daniel's faith. He's unafraid for people to see him praying to his God. And as we're going to see, it's, I don't believe it's out of defiance. I don't think it's, it's, it's trying to flaunt his faith in God. It's simply continuing to do what he'd always done. This isn't open defiance. It's open faith. And I wonder... If our prayer life is as devoted as Daniel's, 
what gets in the way of my prayer time? Distractions, busyness, Netflix, Star Wars. Oh, man. Got to watch less Star Wars, guys. So many things can distract us from prayer, right? But for Daniel, even the threat of death doesn't get in the way of his prayer life. He is prayerfully dependent, no matter the cost. Of course, these other high officials are watching to catch Daniel, and they see him praying to his God. And so they go to the king, and they drop the hammer that, of all people, to be breaking his decree, it's his most trusted official, Daniel. The king is much distressed, and he seeks to to rescue Daniel But he's been trapped by his own ego-inspired law, and Daniel is to be thrown into the den of lions. Now, kids, you know what happens next, right? Daniel gets eaten by the lion. Right? No? Am I off? Okay, well, we better read it then, huh, Hatcher? Let's read the story. No spoilers, though, kids, if you know what happens, okay? Let's see what happens when Daniel goes to the lion's den. Verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. That makes us think of another story to happen later in scripture. Verse 18, then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Good job, Hatcher. You were right. God miraculously saves Daniel, right? No harm is found on him. And I love what, what Darius, King Darius, says to Daniel a couple times here before he's thrown into the den. And then when he rushes in the morning to find him, he says, he talks about Daniel the, he has the God that he serves continually delivered him. This idea of serving continually, it, it shows that Daniel had a lifelong established faith. Daniel had served God continually throughout his life, and it was apparent to those around him. Daniel Aiken says this, he says, Christian character is not forged in the moment of adversity. Christian character is revealed in the moment of adversity. Daniel doesn't just start praying as soon as he hits the bottom of the lion's den, right? It's too late at that point. Well, it's not too late. But he's already established a trust in God so that in this moment, 
It doesn't take him by surprise. He continues to do what he's been doing. He prays. He trusts in his God in this moment of adversity, facing death in the lion's den. So King Darius cries out, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And in verse 21, Daniel answers the king. He says, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. And why in verse 23 was no harm found on him? Because he had trusted in his God. Here's what this means for us. We can be people who honor the king, but trust in God's power. We honor the king, but we trust in God's power. We see God's power, his power to save again on display in this story. And it's interesting in verse 22 that Daniel says that he's been found blameless before God, but also before the king. It's amazing that Daniel, even in defying the king's decree, has done no harm before him. Again, this isn't a heart of defiance from Daniel. He has somehow defied the decree while still honoring the king. So this brings us to a brief discussion of civil disobedience. And this is interesting to talk about on a family service, isn't it? <laughs> right? Because kids, parents, I think there's something here for us for sure in this discussion. I love this picture of Daniel. Uh, this was actually found this in one of my kids' uh, kids' Bibles and the power of God on display shutting the, the mouths of the lions, and, and Daniel, just this strong faith, right, that God has provided for him, God has rescued him, and yet somehow Daniel has not dishonored the king. There's been no harm done towards the king. The king even seeks his welfare. He rushes to see if Daniel's okay. So here's a couple of questions for us. When do we disobey earthly authority? When do we disobey the king? Authorities in our world, in our lives. Well, we believe the Bible teaches that we disobey when authority asks us to do something that prevents us from obeying God's commands. It's not just that what they're commanding us is in opposition to God's commands, but it prevents us from obeying God. That's what we see in the book of Daniel. When do we not disobey earthly authority any other time? Now, here's the hard thing. The deeper question is this. How do we obey or disobey earthly authorities? If we are put in a position where we are asked to do something that would make us disobedient to God's commands, how do we go about disobeying, defying earthly authority? Well, here's some heart check questions for us this morning I want to submit. Maybe we can ask ourselves in this situation, and maybe kids, there might be some questions to ask yourself here, and even older kids, adults, thinking of our parents, thinking of our bosses. I think this could apply in a lot of places. First question, do I have a heart of honor toward my authorities or one of rebellion? 
right? Do we have an Elsa heart, right? Do we want to slam the door and just go live in an ice castle somewhere, right? Or do we honor those who are above us? Second question, is my strongest motivation the authority being proven wrong or being saved by the grace of God? Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, God says this, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God's heart is to see even the, the most wicked of man turned and saved. Is that our heart as well? Third question, is my desire to get my way or to glorify God? Do I just really want my way? I want to do things my way here. Or ultimately, do I want to see God glorified in this situation, through my actions? And then this last question is a challenging one, I think. Could God be desiring to use my suffering for a greater good? In them, in the authorities, or in me? Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was killed as a missionary in eastern Ecuador, says this. This is such a, a great statement. I want you to hear this. She said, God will not protect you from anything that will make you more like Jesus. God will not protect you from anything that will make you more like Jesus. That's a tough one to chew on, isn't it? But I think it's true. See, we've been showing this graphic gospel identity throughout this series. That we're not called to embrace or conform to the culture but we're not called to escape or condemn the culture either. We're called to engage out of a place of knowing who we are because of the gospel, who we are in Christ, so that God can bring about transformation in us and in the world around us. And we're blessed to live in a country where we have the ability to speak up. We have the ability to vote. We have the ability, we have rights and freedoms that we should use to pursue good. That's a blessing that we have. But we do it out of a place of gospel identity, of security, knowing that maybe we don't trust in the authorities over us, but we trust in the authority over them. We recognize that God is the one who holds the king's hearts in his hands. And I was thinking about this as a dad because this is, this is tough as a parent because you know as a parent you, you need your kids to respect you and to honor you and to obey you, right? But parents, we recognize, and kids, no amens here, but parents, we recognize we're not perfect, right? We don't always get it right. And yet we need our kids and we ask our kids and God's word commands our kids to still honor us and respect us. And even, I was trying to think of a situation, I can't think of a good example, but even if I were to ask my kids wrongly to do something that would be against God's commands, even then they would need to come to me and, and defy that in a position of honor and respect. Right? I think we get that as parents. That's, that's tough to work that out, but I think we're called to the same thing with our authorities with those who are in a position over us. 
when we find our hope and our identity and our purpose in Jesus, we can engage with a heart that seeks the good of others and the glory of God. And that's the heart of Daniel. So let's see how God uses it. Let's finish our text. Verse 24. So the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Happy family service, everyone. Fantastic. That's not a part of the story we usually tell in the kids' classroom, right? But it happened. It's there. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Once again, we see this declaration in our passage. We saw it with King Nebuchadnezzar multiple times earlier in the book. And here we see, once again, God using a faithless king to declare his character, who he is. And this declaration is really a summation of the book of Daniel. Who is this God? He is the living God. His reign is forever His kingdom will not be destroyed. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders. He is the one who has saved Daniel from the lion's den. His power is on display. The one true God, the God who saves. How did the king come to this realization? It's because Daniel trusted in God. And God delivered him. Here's what this means for us. We can be people who honor the king, but serve the living God. We can honor the king. We can honor earthly authority, show respect to them, obey them, but remember the one that we ultimately serve. Daniel is a man who does this, who sets the example of this. You see, when we remember the God we serve and the power of the God we serve, it changes the way we view our purpose in this life. We can honor earthly authority. We can face any trial or persecution or suffering precisely because we know the God we serve. He's in control. He's good. He's faithful. His kingdom will last forever. We know who wins in the end. Amen? Our God wins. Jesus reigns. We're good. We're okay. No matter what happens. I say that again to my kids a lot. That I ask them, can you, can you trust daddy? Right? Can you trust your mom and your dad? And the truth is, is they can't perfectly trust me. They know the mistakes I make. They see it. 
And that's an opportunity for me to, to, to apologize, to ask their forgiveness so that they know daddy needs Jesus too. I think that's important for us to show our kids. But it's also an opportunity for our kids to recognize, no, mommy and daddy are not perfect, but I can trust in them. I can obey them because God is perfect and God is trustworthy. I think that's what God points us to when it comes to respecting and honoring our authority and facing anything we face in this life. Daniel is not a story of rebellion, but of open faith in and obedience to the one true God, no matter the cost. This is what gospel identity engagement looks like. And God uses this kind of engagement powerfully because it shows the world a people who are different, who are willing to lay their lives down for the purposes of God. In fact, this is the very model of Jesus. So to close this morning, I want to read a little bit later in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. He writes this to the church. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, man, authority, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We're ready to share the truth. We're ready to speak up for what is right, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is the example of Jesus who humbly laid himself down, obedient to the Father, suffering on our behalf, all the way to, to the point of death on a cross, so that we could be forgiven for our sins, and we could have life, we could have hope, we could have identity, we could have purpose. How does God save us? It's through the humble and faithful obedience of his son, Jesus. And we're called to follow his example. Worship team, why don't you guys come on back up. As we close this morning, I want to encourage you just to take a couple minutes as they begin to play to just reflect and maybe read through this again. If you're with your family, you could read it out loud if you want. Um, or just read it quietly where you are and reflect on who our God is. Why we can trust, why we can obey, why we can honor earthly authority because we trust and the God whose reign is forever. The God who saves through his son Jesus. Let's spend some time worshiping together.